Good morning. Welcome to Mosaic Community Church. I am Pastor Angel Halstead, and um, I welcome you to our church, a church that reflects in our name our desire to be a part of the beautiful mosaic of humanity that gathers together in the worship of God Almighty. And so you need to know that you're welcome here, whoever you are, at whatever place in life you walk, you are welcome in this house of God. Because it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to God. And so your invitation is always extended to be a part of us. Today's service is going to be a little bit different because of the events that have taken place in our country. And so the sermon is a bit longer. Um, but I think it's important. I hope it speaks to, to us. Um, and so, your, because this is so hard, it's been such an emotional few days, um, we're not, I don't even feel like I am have it all together. So excuse my and anybody else's lack of all togetherness today. In the honesty and sincerity of our hearts, we are putting this service together to worship God. And so we just are reflecting the times we're in. So if you're okay with that, let's continue to worship the Lord. So this prayer is from the Booklet of Uncommon Prayer, Collects for the Black Lives Matter Movement and Beyond by Kenji Kiramitsu. Read with me, please. Healer God, whose church predates the doctrines of white supremacy by more than a thousand years, empower us with words and wisdom to confront all racial divisions sown by colonizers and cultural elites. Teach us alongside all your saints to remember our people, all people, in our bones, to stitch their hymns and heritage into our hearts. Help us each to reconnect with the cultural heritage that birthed us instead of the violent racial categories into which we have been forced. Amen. Hi, I'm Charlene, and I'm going to be bringing you a scripture reading today from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 7, verses 24 through 29. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the stone. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Reading from Mark 7, 17 to 23. When he, Jesus, had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about the parable. 
He said to them, Then do you also fail to understand? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile, since it enters not the heart but the stomach and goes out into the sewer? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, It is what comes out of a person that defiles, for it is from within, from the human heart, that evil intentions come. Fornication, theft, murder, adultery, avarice, wickedness, deceit, licentiousness, envy, slander, pride, and folly. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. I'll be reading from John 1, verse 5, from the Amplified Bible. The light shines on in the darkness, and the darkness did not understand it, or overpower it, or appropriate it, or absorb it, and is unreceptive to it. The images from the Capitol speak to the vital need for grown-ups, for us, those of us who are active followers of Jesus, to stand up and to start leading. We can't be lazy. We can't be quiet, we can't be insecure, we can't talk about how much time we don't have. People have been dealing with issues of time forever. It's time for those of us in active pursuit of a life with Jesus, a lifestyle, with a, a way of thinking, with our behaviors, our friendships and intimate relationships, the conversations we have, that they all consistently reflect our pursuit of Jesus. There's so many things I want to say today, but I'm constrained and I may be long, so get ready. You should have expected it. I have been so angry. And that term isn't enough to describe the feelings that have, that are well up inside of me. But I want to do more than just rage at you. I want to re reflect and offer a clear call. And I want to radiate the light of Jesus by joining him in the light. So I won't over-spiritualize, but I will place this in a spiritual context. I'm not here to make you comfortable. I really don't care about that. Uh, but I will, I hope, through the conversation we have, put you in the position where you can hear what I'm saying. I don't have any false platitudes to offer you, mosaic or friends, about us being the good people and the people at the insurrection being the bad people. I, I, I don't have that. Ultimately, what I will do is issue the same invitation to us all, to the people who are watching me here, the same invitation to people we don't know who may watch. I offer the same invitation to us all. To be a part of the complex, multidimensional, multifaceted kingdom of God. And it's complicated in breaking in 2021 where you are. Not simple in breaking, but complex and complicated. You see, it's the acceptance of Jesus that's simple. But participating in the inbreaking of the kingdom, there's nothing simple about we read it when we watch through the scriptures, the red letter parts, Jesus moving around. It wasn't simple. It was costly. So there are costs for you and I, and we have to grow up and deal with it.
And so today, I'll speak about a few of the complexities of January 6th, the insurrection. And we'll deal with them as family, that heart to heart we can talk. So first, probably like many of you, I've listened to and read a lot of the stuff in the media. Um, and, and I found that a lot of it was comparing and contrasting the insurrection to the Black Lives Matter protests that came about because of, you know, government officials, government authorities killing, killing George Floyd. Um, these two things aren't to be placed as equivalent issues, equivalent citizen actions to address the government. The Black Lives Matter protests were and are actions taken by American citizens whose citizenship is less valued by government authorities, by representatives, by co-citizens. And they think we have less rights because of the color of our skin. The Black Lives Matter protests, like other citizen actions or protests that fall in line with our rights, our constitutional rights to speak out against injustices that result in mistreatment and death of our black and brown siblings and force us, people like me, black and brown people, to live in states of fear under siege in our neighborhoods, in our towns, our cities, our states, and our nation. So please don't confuse the two. Don't confuse our exercise of our constitutional right to protest injustice with what took place on January 6th. And please don't misunderstand why the insurrection took place, the root cause. It was so much more than somebody being angry about an election or fake election irregularities or because the president incited them. It didn't take place because, simply because, it contributed, this contributed, that Trump was in office. It didn't take place simply because of everything that he's been saying for the last four, five, six, eight, and twelve years. That's too simplistic. And it helps maintain the roots when we point just to him. Maintains the root cause. And we start dealing with symptoms and not the core issue. And we have to deal with the core issue. We have to stop participating in crafting nice ugly stories because we don't want to deal with the real ugly story. So, I'm going to tell the story. Is background. So hear me out. There is a relationship or a connection between Black Lives Matter and the terrorist acts of insurgency, but they're not the same. They are just caused by the same thing, the same source, white supremacy. All of us have not just been touched by white white supremacy, but we've been twisted and distorted because of white supremacy. We live in the smog, if you will, that imagery, the smog of white supremacy, and it's thick and it's dense. We never 
from the beginning of this country developed a means to lift it, to remove it, to eradicate it. Why? Because hearts love the smog too much. Hearts are attached to it and its practices and its advantages. Hearts are committed to its worship. So much so that we have worked to develop ways to see through the smog. Ways to provide us with an optical illusion that the smog is not blocking out the light and distorting our very image. We figured out ways to see the light over there while staying in the smog over here. And we've used our creative ingenuity with such skill that we've deluded ourselves to believe we're in the light as we cough up the filth that the smog has left in our, in our souls. We've, we've perfected the worship of white supremacy to such an extent it's hard to tell, to distinguish it from the worship of Almighty God in this country. White supremacy remains our dwelling place and we live in its kingdom. What a wonder. What a wonder we are. Amazing creations that we could create a lens way back before our country was a country. And still use that same lens that it's still functional today and allows us to see through the fog to the light and then helps us pretend we're over there. We've appropriated aspects and distortions of the kingdom of God as a nation. But as a nation, we're not citizens of the kingdom of God. So if that makes you nervous that I said it, if you don't like it, I want you to stay. Stay here. Don't turn off your, your computer. I'm not talking heresy. I'm telling the truth. And... Um, we can try to spiritualize it or rationalize it, but we need truth. We need, I need us to need truth today and want it. People have continually said America is a Christian nation. It's not. Stop lying. That in, that it is, this is our national number one gaslighting thing that we say that keeps us in darkness. We have a whole story that we're committed to with regard to this. Get back to it. We've read in our history books that the settlers of America came here looking for a place to worship God in purity and simplicity. That's like Gaslight 1A. We are geniuses at crafting our historical lies. This is part of the idol of white supremacy. It's how it got erected. You see, there were these good people who were being mistreated and they needed a place to go to worship God. And so, they traveled across in 1492, they sailed the ocean blue, and they got here. White people in America was a good thing. Because they were just looking for a place to worship. Now, that's true for some people. 
But it wasn't true for everybody. Because some people came here to get rich. So, we have two groups for the point of my discussion, my, my sermon today. We have two groups. You have the people who came here to have a place to freely worship God. And you, and so they were here and you have the people who are already here. They watched the people who came over and they knew that those people would die if they didn't help them. And so, you know what they did? They helped them. So what would be a Christian response to people helping you? People who taught you how to farm and how to stay warm, who fed you when you had nothing, who clearly knew more about the land and how to live in it than you did. What would be the Christian response? Even with these people looking for a place to worship, the Christian response was to cut off the hand that fed them because they were savages. They didn't worship their God, so it made them savages. That's not a very Christian response from a group of good people looking for a place to worship. It was like they said, okay, we'll sit down and shut up for a minute till you help us get out of this situation this winter. But once we get the upper hand, we're going to take over and we're going to blame you for doing it. Because you don't know our God. But you know what? There's some truth in it. There's some truth in that because you don't know our God. You see, they were brutalized, killed, moved off their land, land stolen, rape, murder, because... They did not know their God, the God of white supremacy. Because white supremacy was imported. You want to kick something out, you want to talk about an illegal alien, you kick out white supremacy. But, calm down. So, that was that group. Now, for those who wanted to get rich, they accepted the help because they were going to die too. They wanted to survive. And they also recognized that the help that was being put on display was also displaying the wealth, the resources of the land. And so these people wanted what they had and they took it. But they didn't just take that. They took the story of the first group. They appropriated it. Good white people needing a place to worship. And that's why I call it our nation's national gaslight story. We have a national anthem and we have a national gaslight. We do. The ugliness was brought here was already in the people. We know this because God tells us to look at people's behavior, look at their fruit. So, what did the fruit of the natives show the settlers? In truth, when we look at it, it shows us that the natives were more godly than the settlers. But it may have showed the settlers that those people, the natives, were be easily taken advantage of. Their hospitality, their generosity, 
and they did take advantage. There are people that say, you know, when they hear these stories, that happened a long time ago, can't do anything about it, let's just move on. But the idol, the God, the false God is still alive. Nobody ever tore it down. You keep saying all that stuff happened a long time ago, and that's a refusal to tear down the idol now. The God of white supremacy. Who's being fooled? But then you ask that story and you have to say, well, you know, you hear the story, you have to say, well, the story wasn't for brown and black people. The story was for white people to make white people feel good about themselves. So, and the fact that people crafted the story so they could have one to hold on to and believe, it kind of answers the questions for me about why did those who voted for Trump believe the things he said? Why did the people who participated in the insurrection participate in the insurrection? It's because, you guys, I have to say it, white people, it's a generalization, not all white people, but in general, have been practicing lying to yourselves and believing it. It is our national practice. We have a national anthem. We have a national gaslight. We have a national practice. Self-delusion. On January 6th, we witnessed a worship service at the altar of the God of white supremacy in its efforts to secure and reestablish its kingdom in America. It's not a debate. It's not up for debate. We saw it. Ta-da! There it was on full, horrible display. Now, that's just background. So why help us understand National Anthem, talk about slaves. National Gaslight, we're a Christian nation. National Practice, self-delusion. I need to stop for a second right here. I need to issue an invitation. It's an invitation to all of us, but particularly to white people. And here it is. You, my siblings, who are white people, who are white, you're going to have to deal with people who are consistently talking about these stories. You're going to have to confront them. The folks that whisper about it or have it, hold it in private conversations so other people don't hear it, so they don't out themselves, but you white, so they think you're one of them, and so they pull you in. You're going to have to deal with that. you got to evangelize. You have to tell them the truth that can set them free. But it might cost you. Because I know I'm talking about your parents and other family members. It might cost you an inheritance. It might cost you a relationship. It's going to cost you because there's a cost to discipleship. There's a cost to the kingdom. There's a cost to leaving idolatry and coming to Jesus for all of us. It's the same cost. We lose stuff. Sometimes we lose people. It's not because we left them. It's because they leave us. But we maintain an open door, an open invitation. So we have to, we have to ask ourselves who we're going to believe. We can believe God's report of what his report says about us and about who God is and how God will take care of us? Or are we gonna conform and worship at that altar of white supremacy? No more soft evangelism that never takes on 
the God of white supremacy in the United States. You know, we had the Romans Road and the four spiritual laws. While they're true, they've been twisted and distorted. It's another appropriation to make people feel good, like they're doing stuff. They're doing the stuff that should happen in the light while they're continuing in and promoting darkness. Because I'm calling you to follow Jesus and I'm making follow Jesus. If you confess your individual sins, I said a bad word today and I had that affair. But we're not dealing with how we deny the image of God and hum other humans God created. Uh, Houston, we got a problem. We're worshiping white supremacy and we're helping protect it. Here's an example of how we help protect white supremacy. I'm only going to have one example. It's deep enough because I want to talk to you about abortion. Don't get nervous. Everybody stay calm. You don't have to get scared. It's vital, I believe, to our conversation. And, you know, if we are who we say we are, Mosaic, then no topic can be off limits. I always say to you, you determine what you believe and what you practice. I'm charged as a minister of the gospel of the kingdom to challenge your thinking and to challenge your assumptions. And I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability. And that requires that we talk about uncomfortable things. And just because they're uncomfortable, I have to tell you, it doesn't make them make or break it relational issues for us. That is walking in immaturity. And I have to call us to grow up. There are no make or break issues in our relationship with Jesus. We can talk to Jesus about anything. As followers, why don't we follow Jesus in that too with one another? Ever think about that? I do. Sometimes I think we're too Christian to actually follow Jesus. I'm going to leave that right there. No. See, the smog says you can't talk about things. And it declares that this group is in and the other group is out. And it tries to control people. Because white supremacy must be worshipped. And the lies, the gaslighting has to continue. So we tell, you know, these things in our heads that, you know, to be a good evangel, to be a, to be a good evangel, it, evangelists we have to push the smog to be a good evangelist in white supremacy we have to be quiet to be a good evangelist and many of us are really good evangelists to white supremacy so let's talk about abortion as an example of how it's used in the smog to appropriate the kingdom. I'm not going to go too deep on the subject, but enough. Many people have chosen abortion as the make or break issue of our time. I talk about it because people said they voted for Trump because of the issue of abortion. Now, I have to be honest with you. I was like that at one time in my life. I thought we were supposed to think that way, and I lacked the tools and the maturity uh, for deeper considerations of this complex issue. I just wanted things to be simple, black and white, cut and dry. I believed the gaslight. 
God wants us to protect the life of the unborn at all costs. It's the highest Christian priority of our day. And again, I have to be honest, I was briefly involved in that world. I learned so much I could fill three or four books. And I'm actually ashamed about being involved to the extent that I don't talk about it much. I wish I could erase it, but in truth, it's taught me some very hard lessons. The lessons were so hard, they are written on my heart and will never go away. My most severe encounters with white supremacy came from being involved with anti-abortion people. How do you, in the same breath, speak of the sanctity of human life while belittling and devaluing the life that is already here because they are in bodies that don't look like yours? I encountered people who could care less about the baby once it got here. Could care less once that black body grew up and was protesting in the street for its rights and coming against white supremacy and shouting at police. And could care less if the police were beating them in the head or shooting them during a traffic stop. It's one of the clearest examples of living in the smog while pretending to be in the light. Too many Christians say, well, we have to vote because we have to end that. That's not a true respect for the sanctity of human life. Sorry. That was my timer not. That is, that is a game. Did you know white people have more abortions than BIPOC people? But if you listen to the conversations and the promotional materials, it's always assumed that it's BIPOC, particularly black and Hispanic people or, or um, Latin, Latinx folks. Did you know that it's not a strange thing for a child of a church leader to have an abortion? A church leader who says they believe in the sanctity of life and go to those protests and things, and the kids, they make the kids have abortions? Not strange. They're ashamed when their kid is the one that's pregnant. And they force the child to have an abortion. And they condemn the child to the emotional suffering which is a form of torture by requiring that child never to speak to anyone about what's happened. They're left alone to suffer. Now please tell me who cares about the sanctity of human life. People would rather look good than actually do good for others and care. And I could go on. But it's not a particular conversation about abortion. But if anybody wants to have a particular conversation about abortion, we can have that. We can have that conversation with no shame at all. Again, lots of people voted for Trump. They said they voted for him because he would end abortion. Now, apparently they didn't care about 
the lives of those kids once they became grown and had to live under the authoritarian rule that Trump helped to promote and intensify. They didn't care that the kids would have to deal with white supremacy, with sexism, with homophobia, with calling out facts as fiction and fictions as, as facts, with being beaten and bruised on the street, with being killed. They didn't seem to care about that. Just as long as the body got here and I could say, oh, I helped save a life today. The games we play. But maybe it was okay for them to do that because people really think they get brownie points with God for being on the what they think is the right side of abortion or being on the wrong side of everything else. It, 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 it's a wonder. And it's still a wonder to me because even when I was a part of the world, of that world, I wanted people to understand what they value because there was so much pressure being exerted on on women to do something. And they came for a minute to think for themselves. And we had, we would give them that minute. I like my center because we didn't force and do that high pressure thing. We had conversations to help people identify their value so they could live in it and look at themselves in the mirror. But that bigger world, I had to get out of that. And it's funny that these folks in this movement, you'll shout, Black Lives Matter, and they'll go, no, all lives matter. All lives matter. And I'm like, in America? Has that ever been true in America? Stop lying. You see, abortion is not about ending abortion. If it were, just do a, you know an examination of the fruit. We do a better job of caring for kids, of educating our children, of preparing them for life. Ending abortion is a part of the smog because this is America, and we can do anything we set our minds to. We haven't set our minds to support all people. We've set our minds to looking good before doing good. So at this point you might be saying, Pastor Angel, what does this have to do with presenting a Biblical Sunday worship sermon. And I'm glad you asked. I'm not just rambling. That question proves my point about the smog, the idol of white supremacy that's being worshiped, worshiped in America. You can never actually deal with real issues in church. You're being too political. But only if, only if it's uh, something that's counter to white supremacy. Like the 4th of July. I have been in some white churches during the 4th of July. Oh my gosh, the decorations, people have new robes, all kinds. You would think it was Christmas. 
Uh, I guess it is. If your God is white supremacy, it is Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving, your birthday, all of it rolled into one. It's a mess. Because the fourth is a celebration of how strong and victorious white supremacy is. But when we deal with real issues in the church from the pulpit, people say we're being too political. Remember the definition of politics we discussed a few months back? The negotiation of life together. The gospel of Jesus Christ has always and at all times been political. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about life in the kingdom of God and how we live that life together. All of us as vital and important to our personhood and our role as Christ's body living in the kingdom. It's complex and it's complicated. There is no way to talk about Jesus and not talk about politics. As followers of Christ, the politics of Jesus influence every aspect of how we engage with God, with humanity, and with the rest of creation. The politics of Jesus hold us accountable to how white supremacists how white supremacists, misogynists, homophobic, queerphobic, selfish, constant consumers of creation folk, how they it holds us accountable to hold them back, to hold that tide back, to not allow supremacy in all its manifestations to pretend to be righteousness to pretend to be godly, to pretend to be the kingdom of God when it is the kingdom of darkness. The politics of Jesus move us to the front line in our local government affairs, in our state government affairs, in our national affairs, and even globally. We have to because they influence everything we are. We do, we say, we think. The kingdom of God is the basis of our reality, our understanding of reality, our understanding of right and wrong. But it seems in this country we don't have that basic understanding and that would suggest, that would say, we don't worship the same things. America is not a Christian nation. America is an idolatrous nation that worships white supremacy. And some of us participate in that worship wholeheartedly. And others participate in it by continuing our blindness. And others of us participate in it because we're scared to speak up. And some participate in it because it's just here and they don't care. And it's all participating in darkness. When we say that Christians shouldn't get political, it's a, it's a gaslight too. Because how can you do all this work to end abortion and say Christians shouldn't be political? Because it's a political issue. It's just a con. 
smog. Jesus was never a one-issue God. Why are you and I going to be one-issue followers? You don't really think we're going to, again, get any brownie points, any, any goody points from God because you think you're on the right side of an issue while being on the wrong side of so many. Over 70 million people this time, a great number of them Christians, voted for a man who said there was no reason in his life. He felt no reason to repent of anything. Why did they do that? Why? God doesn't need dark the darkness of the cult of white supremacy to to promote God's kingdom. God doesn't need that. People prayed over and called this man a tool of God when everything points counter. Why would people do that? These issues that are before us are not about issues of the law. They are about issues of the heart. Just like white supremacy is about the heart. Abortion is about the heart. All of it is about the heart. The issue when we look at abortion is about the rapes that happen in marriage and outside of marriage. The economic pra practices that require support for our industry. So we need uneducated people still to be our members of our service industry. It's about misogyny and controlling women. It's about the subjugation and oppression of the other half of the Imago Dei in the feminine body. It's about being gang raped and kids finding their value in, uh, in, in five, ten minute encounter instead of finding value with their families, instead of promoting their self-esteem. And the same thing for grown adults who never got it as kids and are looking for it in relationships and hooking up. And abortion gives us the clearest, one of the clearest visuals of how much white supremacy turns people into things. So we can feel better about ourselves because we help. And dehumanizing and devaluing creation is a work of darkness. While white supremacy is and remains and always been a work of, of darkness. So when your dad says that thing about black people at the dinner, uh, dinner table, he's participating in works of darkness. When you sit quiet as someone talks about the LGBTQ plus community going to hell, your silence is a work of darkness. When your husband or your or you support the narratives that men look more like God than women, they're works of darkness you're participating in. When lesbians talk about trans women and bisexual women negatively, it's a work of darkness. When we don't want to improve the conditions of our schools to honor the sanctity of life, the gifts that, it, that every child 
child is to our creation, it's a work of darkness. When an officer of the law kills a person of color for no other reason than being black or brown, it's a work of darkness. When you sit in the multicultural church but don't have any depth of your relationships with the people who are there such that people who don't look at you can sit at your table and have a meal, it's a work of darkness. We have got to stop pretending. This is not the day for that. There is no patience for that. There is no time for that. Our country was almost overrun because of white supremacy. People died in the street because of white supremacy over the summer. People die at traffic stops because of white supremacy. People are arrested and taken to jail and beaten because of white supremacy. And it is the job of the people of God to stand up to this idol in our country. It is your job as a white person. You say it's not fair, but I'm going to tell you straight. It's your job. My job is to get decolonialized in my brain to overcome the oppression. Sometimes we sit and look at the black people and maybe we want the black people to lead us out of out of white supremacy and it's like are you kidding we're trying to declare that we won't take it anymore that's our job dismantling it is yours do your job we want to be a church that embraces multiculturalism but to be a church that embraces multiculturalism we have to embrace this fight. We have to dismantle our thinking so we are equipped to dismantle thinking in the, in the places we have influence. There's work for already tired people like you and me to do and we have to do it anyway. I am disgusted by what I witness. I am tired of being afraid. I am tired of fearing for my children. I am tired of a form of godliness that denies the power thereof. I am tired of white fake Christians. I am tired. condemn me, say I shouldn't say things, I'm going to say them anyway. You have wonderful brains. We have work to do. If we seek God together, the ideas will come. I have an invitation that I'm going to issue a little bit later for a way we can start as a full community. I'll issue it now. No. I'll issue it later. Let's reflect and worship God.
righteousness I dare not trust the sweetest phrase but wholly trust in Jesus name my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus blood and righteousness I dare not trust So the invitation that I want to extend to our congregation and friends is an invitation to do a congregation-wide book study. I would like us during the month, uh, during January, what remains of January, to read Eddie Glaude Jr.'s book, Begin Again. It is a book that looks at our nation, how we got where we are, the root causes of it, and I would like us to, in February, 
have a series of conversations about what we've learned in the book that I will lead. I will facilitate this activity as a church. And I will place it on different days of the week so everyone has an who wants to participate will have an opportunity to, to participate. I think this is important and critical. And so um, I will send out uh, an image of the book with um, a uh, synopsis of what it's about. Um, I will include it in our next newsletter. I'll actually post it on Facebook so you can see it. I think it will be an excellent source. I was going to actually start this anyway in a different form uh, with Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. But I think uh, this book by Dr. Eddie S. Glott Jr. is the one we should do. Begin again. And so look for that. I want you to participate. Let's see if I have any influence over you. Because, you know, I've asked for some things and people don't usually respond. I need to know that you're responding. I need to know you're hearing me. So, would you, like, say something and let me know? Send me a note. You can send me a note saying I don't have time or I don't read. Or you can send me a note saying I need help getting the book. We'll help you. I think this is important and critical to our journey as a multicultural church in the middle of West Philly in these United States of America. So, I love you. Oh, I can't say that. I feel like I'm like Trump when he did that thing with those people. Oh my gosh. No cult leaders here. You're free. Your agency is important to me. Make your decisions about what you believe and how you respond. I will challenge the mess out of you but you make the decisions for you. So, um, I just feel a need to pray. So, let's pray. God, at this time, I feel the need for the comfort of you as our mother, and you as our Father, who guides us into truth and is nurturing us and raising us to be the Christian people you envisioned when you created us. These times we're living in are showing us who we are. And while many want to say that's not who we are, it's the truth. Help us to deal with the truth of who we are as a nation and with who we are as Christian people who have embraced white supremacy. You told us if your people who are called by your name, if we would confess our sin, that you would hear and that you would heal us. And so, Father, I pray for the people who know your name, but don't know your ways. I pray that their hearts would be touched and convicted. I pray for those who 
of us who know your ways but aren't living them, that you would help us, Lord, to have the strength to reject the wrong, to reject things that separate us from one another so we can live life together. We're somewhere in that continuum, Lord, all of us, because none of us is perfect. We need you. Father, our hearts are willing. The flesh sometimes is weak. Help us. Pull us along, Mom. We want to be new. We want to be like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.